Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. And Chris, I am also an idiot. So, yeah, I've been saying that for months. You usually say it to me, but I mean, <laughs> man. This is a good opportunity to call myself out. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. Uh, we've got an SEC West preview that we are going to run through. Got a bunch of different topics that we want to hit on within that. Some big headline-worthy news coming out of Alabama with Nick Saban's great quote. And we actually have an interview with Dave Hooker. He's going to talk about the Tennessee uh, the Tennessee series that we're doing on the 1998, uh, the 20th anniversary season of that. But before we get to all that, um, I, got, I got to call myself out. I made some mistakes last week. I'm humble enough to admit that. I am not perfect. I know it is very tough to believe. But for the first time in my life, I've made a mistake. And I made two. I made two. So stay with me on this. So last week, I don't know if you guys caught this, but... I said over and over again that the CBS sports analyst who had Florida in the college football playoff was B.J. Johnson. I didn't correct you. You didn't, but you should have, because B.J. Johnson is, in fact, not the CBS sports analyst who said that. It is actually Brian Jones who said that. And you might be thinking <laughs> to yourself, who is B.J. Johnson? Well, B.J. Johnson is actually He's the kid. point guard for the uh, early 90s Bulls, That's number B- 10. B.J. Armstrong, come on. Same thing, might as well just go with it. Uh, B.J. Johnson is a kid from my high school. And how that slipped in there, I have no idea. But I said it like three or four times. And only listening back did I hear myself say, why in the world was I saying B.J. Johnson? And that it made sense. So I apologize to Brian Jones for that. I mean, to be fair, we were talking about, I don't think anybody picked up on that, what his real name was, because the most asinine part of that entire segment was him picking Florida to make the, the college football playoff. Fun fact, this was another a little uh, little. it might mean too much, was there was somebody who quote tweeted that uh, video of the Brian Jones uh, Florida playoff prediction saying that he would uh, cut off his penis live on Facebook if that Wait, actually happened. what? Yeah. What? That was a real thing that happened that was circulating uh, the, the Twitter sphere. We don't have to get into too good of details with that, but let's just say I'd I told... I'd like to. I, 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 did, I mean... I told Old Takes Exposed about that, so we might have to circle back to that with every single Florida win, just because we need to throw yeah. that out there. Okay, so Old I made a mistake. Exposed, nailed it. <laughs> I made a mistake on that. I also made a mistake. This is an apology to you. Yeah, this one was the one that really bothered me. I was wrong. Herschel did have his Bill Bates moment in the season-opening game against Tennessee. I don't know why I told myself it was the second or third game of the year. My brain is clearly just fried from all of this. Florida oh, heat that's the, that's the, the excuse. That's my excuse. I'm moving right now. Got, I got eight jobs. Uh, I'm trying to write articles, learn how to Photoshop. I think my brain's not fried. I haven't seen the office in weeks. I actually watched the office yesterday when I was sitting in Firestone because we had a flat tire. Oh. Uh, but it was great that they had the office on in the waiting room. So happy yeah. times. It was only it's like usually like just minutes. in the heat of the night and like really crappy coffee. And it was like small styrofoam cups. It was the worst. Yeah. No, I'd actually. Yeah, I got that one right. You got that right. I stand corrected. So here is my attempt uh, at trying to be perfect today. That is going to be my goal. I know that I am not going to be perfect, and I will get names and pronunciations and all that stuff wrong. But I, I felt bad because that was those were two bad mistakes that I should not have made. So I want I want our listeners to, to know that we we strive for perfection. That is what we do each and every. I just hope everyone out there that's ever left a review about how I'm just a little zany, wacky guy over here. It sounds like a high-pitched voice comedian. <laughs> <laughs> also knows what he's talking about. 
you are the one who is factually correct. We have so much to get to today, but before we do any of that stuff, gotta talk to you guys real quick about our friends over at Sweet Hop. Yes, those guys, the ones who hook you up with a really sweet luxury suite. See what I did there? Yeah, Yeah, I've used that a little bit too much. I should probably stop on that. Out of the gates. (laughs) Did you know that you can start the season off with a bang by booking a luxury suite to see your favorite SEC team at a pro stadium? I bet you did know that because you've been listening to this podcast. Getting a suite on campus is darn near impossible, but luckily Sweet Hop has you covered when your favorite team is playing on neutral turf. With private suites available for the Advocare Texas kickoff in Houston, the Chick-fil-A kickoff in Georgia, and Camping World kickoff in Orlando, you're never going to want to go back to the regular seats again. I promise you that. Live like a VIP and book a private suite for your group to kick off the season in style. VIP entrances exclusive club access and catering is going to be ordered straight to your suite. That is the sweet life, y'all. View availability and pricing at sweethop.com slash kickoff today. That's S-U-I-T-E hop.com slash kickoff. Marler, we are only a week and a half away from having actual football. So instead of talking about actual football, let's talk about how Nick Saban is a cheating coach who poops out players. <laughs> was not a great, uh, you know, we'll just get it on the table, be candid and open. Um, I just wanted to have my Sunday just quiet, it was rainy, and just try to keep this hangover I had on its toes. And instead, I'm out here on Twitter, and the worst news ever comes up from an anonymous source, so I'm a, I'd like to backtrack on my stance last week on that. I don't like them anymore. <laughs> Well, Muschamp would agree with you on that one. This was pretty much his worst nightmare, this CBS sports story that came out called Candid Coaches, wherein anonymous coaches can just throw any coach under the bus. And the quote that made the headlines about Saban was the following. This is from CBS Sports. So we don't know who said this, but we're going to speculate wildly at the end of this. Um, The quote was, if you had the number one recruiting class in the country every year, you'd win like Nick Saban. That, the last part was in parentheses. but right. uh, He shows up at every single game with a better roster than the teams he's playing. If you count cheating and getting the best players in the country as part of running a program, he's the best in the country. It's like saying an NFL coach is the best coach in the league if he gets 25 first-round picks every year. Whew, that's a lot of stuff. Seems unreasonable. We don't get 25 first-round picks every year. A lot of times, they don't even enroll, or they'll be second-round picks. They're the Browns, though. The Browns do get, like, 25 first-round picks every year. They've gotten to that point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're really bad. um, Alabama getting that much talent on its roster as a result of cheating, as this anonymous coach speculated, I mean, okay. It's just hurtful. I'd say that, you know, recruiting nowadays when you have five national championships in the last nine years isn't that hard. I don't want to say that it's easy, but I would also tend to think that, uh, if you're blindly accusing a, a coach of cheating, you should probably have a little bit more proof instead of just hiding behind something that you know is never going to come to the light of day. You know, it, it reminded me of, have you ever heard of the dating app Lulu? I haven't because I've, I'm, I'm a married man. I don't have to worry that's, about these That's things. what I figured. So Lulu um, was an app that girls could post about guys anonymously, but they would have the guy's name and picture. And then there were like a bunch of hashtags and stuff, and they could rate them. And I found myself on there one time, and one of the hashtags was mean to my dog. Whoa. It was one, it was one of the worst accusations I have ever... I, I follow like seven Corgi accounts on Instagram. It was, it was terrible. So anonymous sources, suck it. 
Yeah, they are pretty much the worst. And so as if that wasn't bad enough, then you had another, uh, another. I mean, there were all, all these different things that came out about this, and one of which uh, you had coaches calling other coaches overrated, and that was a whole different discussion. But I, I thought that this, this other quote uh, that actually came from Saban was perhaps more interesting and even better. Um, this was an all-time quote, and my wife asked if it was made up. Uh, but no, it is it in fact problem. real, and I don't feel like I would do it justice saying it because I'd, you know, probably do the PG spin. So I feel like Marler, you you would be best suited to say this quote. Here, Muffet kids. All right, y'all, just think every time something happens right here, we just another player. That was Nick Saban's response to Alabama dealing with injuries and how it's the next man up philosophy. Wow. I have yeah. I have no words when, when you see something like that because we do the the stuff where um, we we, t- we do the what they meant to say and I right. thought that was that when I saw that because I was out of commission on on Saturday right. and and, I, and I'm like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute he he didn't actually I had to watch the video of him saying it to actually right. believe that that it happened. Something happens. I just wake up every morning and get a nice nice cup of Folgers and next, next thing I know I'm just shitting out five stars. Is I mean I kind of assume that. Did you? Yeah, I think I think everyone kind of did. It was it was just funny how it, it was handled because you know you had the injury at Georgia for, to, to Zamir White that we'll get into later, and you had the injury here, and they were handled so differently. Like like the loss of Zamir White was it was like somebody going off to war. Like no, he's never going to come back. Like we lost some Georgia fans were so upset, mad at Kirby. All Bama fans did was like, all right, so what are you going to do now? What, who's who's going to be the next best player? Who's going to be the next NFL draft pick? Like what? give the man a break. Yeah, it, it is funny, though, that Nick Saban sort of fuels this because he always says next man up and we'll be right. fine and this this person is this responsibility. And finally, he just got to a breaking point where he felt like people said people made it out to be like it was some easy thing to be able to just replace key yeah. contributors. You know, Terrell Lewis goes down and who's going to replace him? And this guy goes down and Najee Harris goes down. And who's going to replace him? And, like, it's this easy thing. But, I mean... Does anything suggest that it, it isn't easy for Alabama? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly, like, when you look back at it, um, I get why he's mad, and he probably has the right to be. But literally last season, that's exactly what happened. They mm-hmm. lost a linebacker, like, every quarter yeah. of a game. It was ridiculous. And, you know, I, he says that they're very thin at inside linebacker and outside linebacker. And every time they, like, you kind of, like, shuffle the positions, there's there's, like... Oh, third string, that's another five-star. Ben Davis, he was like the number one overall linebacker in the country. They have depth. It'll be fun. Yeah. That's, to me, this is just Saban wanting to get a little bit more credit for what he's been doing. So let's right. let's give Saban a little rap poise and say, yes, we believe in your ability to coach up these players and get them ready. And, yes, injuries are tough, but you guys do such a good job of getting them ready. So there you, there you go. Now you don't have to curse at press conferences, Saban. So. No, but keep doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, please do, because that was glorious. We need more of that. It's only the preseason. We're already getting some great moments from, from Saban. We're already getting Lane Kiffin in peak Kiffin mode. Uh, we're going to ride the Lane train for a few minutes here. Lane Kiffin tweeted out our story that actually cited uh, a quote that uh, an FAU player gave to the Palm Beach, the Palm Beach Coast, and it was from senior cornerback Herb Miller. Herb? Herb? I'm going to call him Herb because that sounds better. I like uh, that. And, it's uh, definitely not right, but okay. No, I, I like Herb. And uh, so he said, uh, he said to the Palm Beach Post, he said that all of a sudden FAU is the Alabama of Florida. Everybody wants to come 
here now. And so Saban uh, tweeted out the SDS story of players saying that, and then he had like a, a laughing, crying emoji of right. Alabama South. Yeah, I, I love that. To me, that's just that we need we need more of that from Lane now that we're oh, pretty yeah. much in season mode here. Right. He's got he's got one one week till game week. It's about time to start talking trash to uh, Baker Mayfield. Brian Bosworth, pretty much anyone in the entire state of Oklahoma, like anyone that was an extra in the movie Twister, all that. But yeah, he, he seems like he's in peak form. Also, FAU is the Alabama of Florida is one of the saddest sentences I feel like I've, I've ever heard. It's a, if you're ever going to take a, a chance like that, now is probably the time to do it, given the seasons yeah. that Florida State just had, given the season that Florida just had. Fair. Although Miami did, you know, Miami did you know, have a lot of hype last year, but you lose three straight to end the season. So right. I, I get a, a quote like that and a player coming out and saying that. I'm not going to agree with him necessarily, but, I mean, I, I like the fact that a, that a team from, you know, a group of five conference can have this kind of swag after only yeah. a year. I mean, ask, ask UCF about that. I mean, it's, it's fun to see him in his element of where, like, yeah, he's doing, he has a real job. Like, he, he, he is a head coach of a Division One football program. But at the same time, he doesn't really care how he comes off about anything. Like, so much so that he didn't cover the spread of a game on purpose last year. Good for you, Lane. Way to be on top of that, first off, knowing the point spread. Lane belongs in 2018 college football more than any other coach in the country. He's living in 2028. Yeah, he's, well, we'll we'll see. I think he's going to be in Boca for a little while. We we can talk about that later. But I'm going to take the over at whatever the over-under is for him staying in Boca. I, that this is the lane that that we need right now. Yeah. Um, so we alluded to it earlier. Zamir White torn ACL. You feel terrible for the kid. Georgia running back, five star, came in with a lot of potential, and now this is his second torn ACL in the past what like ten months. This is. Yeah. Um, but the the more um, the thing that that sparks up controversy out of this was that. Kirby Smart um, announced that uh, this happened in punt coverage. Uh, rumors were swirling throughout the day on Saturday uh, because it was practice was close to the media and it was only available to, to fans. So this this report got leaked, and uh, at the press conference uh, where Kirby was asked about this, he was basically asked like point blank, like you know, what did you think about Zamir White playing in, in, in punt coverage? Like, is that a normal thing? And Kirby was not happy, and he went on a bit of a rant. And it almost felt yeah. like Kirby was – he wasn't necessarily – like, I get that he was directing it at the media, but it was almost more like he was frustrated about seeing the fan reaction and all yeah, the opposition. Yeah, as he should be. Yeah, it was It, it was did not take long. I, I mean, like, and again, growing up in the state, I've been around Georgia fans for most of my life, and they're not like – it's not like they're any better or worse than any SEC fans. Like, we all have our, our moments of, you know, being irrational – I was just amazed after all the praise that had been going on, just endless amounts for, for Kirby, everyone questioned him. Um, like, not everyone, but a, so many people questioned him. Like, why do you have a five-star, you know, number one running back in the country and, he's, you know, have significant playing time? He came off that ACL last year. He was medically cleared it was by a, a doctor that was smarter than all of us. And a non-contact injury, too, right. which is important to remember. And it wasn't even on the same knee. Keep that in mind, too. Right. I mean, and I, I get the point of, like, maybe – Maybe put in like another five. I mean, put Cook in there, you know, or one of the defensive backs you have bringing in. Or they were probably all out there too. Yeah, actually, probably a good point. But I mean, this is a very common and consistent thing. And and you know, I was talking to one of my friends about this, and he was pissed. Big Georgia fan, and he's like, "There's just no need for that on special teams. Just anybody could go run down there. Not true. It runs a four-five. Not true at all. It's outside of the punter and long snapper. 
probably the most important position out of a punt is the gunner. I get maybe having a defensive back. However, Damian Harris is the one that blocked the punt against Florida State last year. Mm-hmm. This is a very con- – Bo Scarborough blocked a, a punt against Florida in the 2016 SEC championship game. It's a very, very common thing. Damian Harris uh, and also Derrick Henry, regular on special teams on yeah. punt coverage. This is not a, a first-time thing. Sony Michelle played punt coverage last year. You know, this is this is something that a lot of coaches like to do. And I, you know, I, I don't fault Kirby Smart for putting someone who is medically cleared to be out there on right. punt coverage. It, it's not like he got blindsided or something like that and got a concussion covering right. a kickoff like it's I did my injury. freshman year of high school and got totally embarrassed oh. for it. Um, that's a different story for another time. But I, I have no problem with, with, uh, with Kirby doing this because there are a lot of coaches who say that this actually is a benefit, and it kind of loosens yeah. guys up before they go into a game. They don't go into a game cold. I remember this offseason I was talking to uh, IMG coach Kevin Wright about these two-star running backs that he has, uh, Noah right. Kane and Trey Saunders, and guys who uh, are expected to do some big-time things at the college level. And he loves putting them in at punts and kickoffs, not because they're freak athletes and he – has a, a, an incredible amount of freak athletes on that IMG roster, but because he feels like they actually stay healthier because it gets right. them warmed up before they go into games, gets the adrenaline going, gets the pads popping a little bit, and just kind of gets them into that mode before they go out there and they take their first carry, and it kind of keeps them fresh as opposed to just staying you know, tight on the sideline. So there, right. there are benefits to that, and maybe this kind of sheds some light on that. It's a bummer that it happened. It's an absolute bummer, but if... Georgia fans, would you be more upset if this happened with him making a cut out of the backfield? Because I think you're more likely to see an injury there than you I mean, are actually on punt coverage. Probably only if it was like a couple of years ago when Bobo was still there. It was like a QB draw. Because then I've never seen anyone lose their minds more than Georgia fans. Like, <laughs> God dang it, Bobo! Third, he just he loved third and nine QB draws. But yeah, I mean, it's it's I get the point. Like, you hate to lose them. The, the, I mean... The good news is you have a lot of depth, especially so that position. Much. So I mean, much. they're they're gonna be okay. Have you seen Have you seen seen Holyfield? The well, picture that, that came was, out today with his shirt was, off. Good God! Was that photoshopped too? Probably. I doubt it. Is there somebody sitting at home just photoshopping Elijah Holyfield pictures? If, because... if you are, call me because I still don't understand how Photoshop works, and I'm still on Instagram just struggling. <laughs> I love that. Zamir White's going to be, uh, I, I, I hate making the Marcus Lattimore comparison because they're different what? people. Uh, but I, I did see a little bit of that thrown out there. And I, and I don't want to jump to those kind of conclusions because there's a there's a natural reaction. And I don't yeah. want to get to that point yet because we don't, I don't know, know how he's going to respond from this. But no, no, no. I'm just, I'm throwing that out there because I, I saw it on Twitter. I'm not saying I'm, I'm comparing the two, but I've seen the comparisons already. Yeah. We obviously hope that this isn't something that's going to threaten the rest of his career. Um, We hope to see Zamir White obviously back in the practice field uh, in no time. Georgia still going to start off the season as probably a top three, top four team uh, consensus, consensus, I would say. Uh, Probably. We we know the answer. uh, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, the AP poll is out. Good point. Wow. Way to just spoil that for... Terrible uh, segue. Yeah. Way to just spoil that for our readers who... Uh, or, or listeners who haven't read the the entire AP poll yet. Maybe they were uh, just waiting until they heard us talk about it on the pod, and then they were like, hey, let's let's figure out where everybody is. More excuses. Yeah. The uh, App Top 25 came out today. <laughs> Some surprises. Uh, not really at the top. Bama was number one. The Clemson number two with 18 of the total 61 votes, or first place votes. Which, 
about a, bit, a little bit more than I was expecting. I thought Bama would have even more first place votes, but that's not a yeah. real surprise. Well, because the coaches poll, they had you know 61 of the 65. Right. But Wisconsin got one, which was one more than I thought they would get. Um, almost too many. Even as someone who is very high in Wisconsin, like myself, I did not think that Wisconsin would get a first place vote. That to me is uh, pushing it a little bit too far. But uh, point made. There were differences. Uh, Georgia benefited from Ohio State's turmoil the past couple of weeks. Georgia moved into that. I thought maybe Georgia might have been outside of the the top three, if not for the, some of the Urban Meyer stuff. That really doesn't matter a whole lot. But it is preseason poll talk. I thought right. the the surprise to me. Um, you know, was that you had LSU sitting there at number 25, and then the first two teams on the outside looking in, South Carolina and Florida. Three teams with wildly different expectations, yeah. off-season uh, scenarios, but bunched right in that same group. Basically, the media saying, we're going to kind of hedge our bets and say that we don't really have a clear view of how this is all going to shake out. Right. Just lump them all together. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... They had five total teams in the uh, in the top twenty-five, but it was pretty pretty bland. It was pretty much just exactly what we expected. Mississippi State was still at eighteen. Uh, Auburn, Georgia, Bama, right in the top ten. I mean, I don't know who you'd interchange. Like, if you would change out LSU for South Carolina, I would keep LSU in talent-wise. Uh, Florida again. They returned so many players, but on from such a bad team. Right. Let's, let's talk South Carolina real quick because I think uh, Gamecock fans are kind of frustrated because they're looking at all the talent that returned from a nine-win team and they're thinking, what do we have to do to get into the top 25? They felt like there were times last year where they should have been able to crack the poll. They haven't been in the top 25 since right. 2014. And I think that what kind of happens with a team like South Wait, Carolina... they weren't ranked at all last year? No. not They were they ranked were one, week in, one, ranked, one week ranked in the playoff poll, but then they were not ranked in the AP poll. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. But I think what what pollsters kind of do with a team like South Carolina because they have that week two game against Georgia. Right. A lot of teams will leave them unranked for the start of the season, knowing that that game in week two is pretty much right. going to determine whether or not they're going to be a legitimate top. Don't waste team. my week one vote. That's a thing. You got to earn it. Well, come I, in here. I got to pencil your name in, and then next week I got to race it. It's going to be terrible. I'd love to. I, I need to get an AP vote one of these days and just yeah, be I able just to get verified on Twitter or MySpace. <laughs> Keep working on MySpace. I feel like they'll allow that for, for pretty much anyone these days. Okay, good. Uh, Mississippi State came in way too low at number 18. As I've oh, said okay. a billion times, I would have had Mississippi State at number 12, probably, or something like that. Um, that is not news to anyone. Uh, Auburn starting off at number nine, I thought was a bit high. If there was a team that I was going to bet on not finishing better than where they are to start the season, at least in the SEC, yeah. it's Auburn, and frankly, it's not even that close. I mean, I would disagree with that. I, I think I think they're right where they should be. because, And this goes back to the fact that if, if we're ranking them based off of their team and how talented they are, how good of a team they are, this team could be undefeated, they could be 11-1, or they could be like the best 9-3 and team in the history of college football. That's they're going to be really good. Yeah, and that's a good point because I think there's a tendency sometimes with uh, with pollsters in general to just start looking ahead to strength the schedule before they actually sit down and break right. down what a team returns and if they're it's where they deserve to start off the season. And so, yeah, you're looking at an Auburn team that had a had a really nice season last year and returns 
we, we've talked about the playmakers that they have in the front seven and getting Jared Stidham back uh, is huge, but there are still questions with that team. I would not be surprised if they did not finish in the top 10, of course, as we've right. said many times. But no real shockers, I think, in the top 25. This is all, we do so many of these poll stories. They're TCU. so drawn out. I didn't have TCU in my original coaches poll, and I didn't realize it until after the coaches poll oh, came yeah. out. There was another Connor mistake. Uh, yeah, that was not my best look. But uh, TCU did just lose, I think it was a starting safety? Starting safety? Yeah. Some, and starting Vegas defender. has their win total at 7.5. Yeah, they got a for tough the whole schedule. year. They've got Ohio yeah. State, uh, I think, the third week of the On the season. road. It's it's in Dallas, actually. but uh, Yeah, on the road in Dallas. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Right. You got to take a road to get there, Cotter. Shut up. That's true. Um, the other one that surprised me a lot was Virginia Tech, only because in the offseason they've lost, I think, four like could-be starters on defense alone, whether being dismissed from the team or an Achilles or an ACL. But and they already were only returning, like, it's, I mean, is he still there? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, people like Justin Fuente. I think he gets a lot of love. He's kind of considered yeah. one of those nice up-and-coming coaches and – you get a returning, you get your starting quarterback back. I think it helps a lot of these teams that you know that that are top Ten twenty-five fixtures. Less, yeah. yeah, so right, well, you know, that, surprise me, Connor. Yeah, all right. That's why we uh, we're two different two different human beings, sort of. We are going to have wildly different opinions about this. It's time for our SEC West preview. We've got some stuff that we want to get to later on about over under win totals. That's going to yeah. be really fun. You're going to want to stick around for that. But before we get to that. We've got some bold predictions that we want to do. And this is bold predictions for anything. It can be games. It can be order of finish. It can be stats-based. There are so many different ways that you can go with this that I feel like if you just say bold predictions about the SEC West, it can go any which way. So why don't you start us off here, a bold prediction that you have for anything in the SEC West this year. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to scale it back from what I've said this summer with Ole Miss. Oh boy! They have the top. They have the best receiving court in the, like in the country. Definitely the SEC, but probably the country. I really think JT is going to be a really good quarterback. I'm gonna say I'm not gonna say they're gonna beat Bama, even though it's at home and Bama's gonna be early in the year trying to gel in the secondary with six new uh, or replacing their top six defensive backs. I'm gonna say Ole Miss puts up over thirty against yes, Alabama, man. and that's a bold statement because that only happened one time last year. That is bold. It's not as bold as what I was hoping to get from you, and that really makes me sad. What was it going to be? That well, Nick Saban actually does, like, poop out players? No, your bold prediction this whole offseason is that Ole Miss is going to beat Bama, and Bama's not going to be undefeated going there into There could be some other bold October. predictions in here. Okay. Well, I don't think you're going to double down on that. So, but, <laughs> All right. Uh, you take a, a little brief step back off the ledge. I'll respect that. I could easily see that happening as well. Um but I'm, I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say that Mississippi State finishing second in the division and being 7-1 against the SEC, that's still considered a bold prediction, even though I've said it a billion times. Because yeah. as Joe Moorhead... It's an po- old prediction, dude. It's a really old prediction. It's, it's a stale prediction, if anything. Yes. Joe Moorhead you know, was quick to point out that as much success as Dan Mullen had, this is still a program that has had one winning record in the conference in the last Thank 15 you. years. Yeah. That's, that's worth something. So predicting that the Bulldogs are going to go seven and one is is bold. I think they have a season at home like what Auburn did last year, where 
anybody that walks in, anybody that walks into Stark Vegas is going to be in for a trip. They're going to be firing on all cylinders in every single home game, and the road games. You know, they're going to have to grind out a few wins. So here's what I'm going to say about Mississippi State: is I think, based off of their them playing Bama close last year, the hype train has just been rolling all off season, and I like what you said about Joe Moorhead and the like the impact he had uh, with that offense at Penn State. I think he's going to be good long term. That defense is not going to be as good as everyone thinks it's going to be, in my opinion, with Bob Shoup coming in. He was terrible at Tennessee. He probably had better athletes at Tennessee. I get like from top to bottom. I understand that Montez Sweat, Jeffrey Simmons are, are elite and you know top level guys. I don't think they're going to be as good as everyone thinks they are. But we seven and one, seven and one. They've had one winning record in the conference in fifteen years. Seven and one. Time for That's bold. That's a bold prediction. Bold baby, not not lukewarm. We're, we're going bold. Um, I'm going to say five and three. Five and three. How many wins overall? Nine. Um. No, I got him under. I got him under uh, eight and a half. I have an eight. Wow. Eight and four. Uh, you know why? Because Starkville's not that tough of a place to play. Uh, so who came out and said, was it Greg McElroy who came out and said that that might be the loudest atmosphere in college football now with Mississippi State? With, with the cowbell. Somebody recently came out and said that because of the cowbell factor. Were they deaf? Not, I, I did not Probably. Comp- I didn't confirm that. I have no idea. Maybe, potentially. If so, I take it even more seriously. Um, okay, so Mississippi State is a bold prediction. I've got a. I'm going to go in a different direction. It's a single game prediction, and th- if you read the SDS Crystal Ball series and yelled at me about that, props to you. You already know about this. I've got LSU beating Georgia, handing the dogs their lone loss of the season. That game is in Tiger Stadium. I just think that Georgia having a four week stretch coming into that where they play like Middle Tennessee, Vandy, Tennessee, and like. Zoo or something. Yeah. It's a bad four-week stretch uh, for Georgia coming in, and they have seems to, like a the, good four-week stretch to be coming in. No, I mean no, no. I'm, just in terms of like the defenses that they're going to face, it's right. it's a it's a bad four-week stretch in terms of getting ready to play a team like LSU that has a different kind of explosiveness on the defensive side of the ball. Going into a place like that, I think it's just going to be really tough, and it's going to be something where yeah, you know, you played South Carolina early in the year, but it's a little bit of a wake-up call, and it's a a game that uh, kind of makes Georgia fans realize that this isn't going to be maybe as easy as they kind of thought it would be in the previous month of the season. So I'm 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 going to say Ed Orgeron gets his one big signature win in 2018, and that's it. See, I like I like that that uh, that game for Georgia only because it's not at night. It's still, it's still going to be tough, Wait, and also LSU night? has no. It's not. It's going to be a 3:30 game. Says who? Me. Really? Yeah, because we went over this last week. Oh, no. Uh, Bama Mizzou is that day. A&M Carolina is that day. Arkansas Ole Miss. None of those games are Florida Vandy. None of those games are going to be premier games. Auburn, Tennessee. That's, that's got Georgia LSU or 330 written all over it. And then the, before that, LSU still has to play Auburn. They get somebody a week after that. And then Mississippi State and Georgia. So they have a tough stretch coming into that game. I think they're going to try and do whatever they can to make that a night game. How? I, I, Just like I mean, ask does, politely. Yeah, Joe Oliva is gonna—he's gonna bang his fist and say, "Hey, we need to get this one." Yeah, I got uh, a bad song, but I came out here. I, I got a second degree burns, and aloe vera. I can't—I can't put enough on. We gotta have a night game. Your help wanted ad was—I listened to that a couple on points. It was so so. Good. No, I mean it could be a night game, and it's gonna be a good game either way. I would say piggybacking off that, my bold prediction would be that the 
winner of second place in the SEC West will be decided in September, and that's LSU-Auburn. Really? Yeah. So by that distinction, then, you have Mississippi State at fourth in the West? That's uh, what it all comes back to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I know. That's interesting. Okay, so if it is decided that game, who wins that game? Auburn. I, would, I mean, it's... Uh, Home team hasn't won that game in, what, seven years? Yeah, and... Gus Malzahn, 500 coach away from Jordan-Hare. That is, well, he, but he's at, they're at home. It's in Auburn. Oh, the game's in Auburn. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. That's so right. I just I do think it's one of those things where if one of them if they if they both come in zero and one, which is kind of what I'm pulling for, just because I just want anarchy. If they both come in at, at or one and one, and they losing like against Washington and and Miami in the opener, you have to win that game to stay relevant in the national picture. Yep. So that's and then it doesn't get any easier from there. I I could get on board with that. Uh, I don't think that's a that's that bold to say that, that that game is necessarily going to decide second place. Well, you know what? It is bold in my book because Mississippi State has second place. Well, yeah. Game, so. And also Mississippi State's going to lose to Kansas State that day, so there's that. I do have Mississippi State losing to Kansas State. Let the record show that that was one of two losses I have for the Bulldogs. Bill Snyder. Bill Snyder's going to win one for the Gipper. They got Chick-fil-A now in, in Manhattan. They got Chick-fil-A uh, at the stadium. That was the big offseason news with Kansas State. Good for them. So, yeah, Let it go, it, Kansas State. It, with the times. I love it. Let's get bold with the Alabama backfield. I've got Najee Harris finishing with more rushing yards than Damian Harris this season. I don't care about the foot injury in the preseason. I'm not worried about that. I just think that when he gets rolling and when he gets an opportunity, because history shows us that Damian Harris is not getting 25 touches a game, I think that he ends up being more of a 50-50 guy and I think that he eats into that workload a ton, and maybe he ends up having one of those, like, you know, 1,100-yard season, Damian Harris just gets over 1,000. It ends up being really close, but the sophomore gets the edge. I mean, I could see that. I, I will say, um, and this is kind of based off what we're going to talk about in a minute with the, with the odds, Jordan Ta'amu leads the SEC, the entire conference, in total yards passing. I like that. I like that. That's good. And touchdowns. And touchdowns. Yeah. Oh. What about I'm not going to take him out very much. And I, I really, I'm excited to see how Ole Miss is going to look with that offense. And they seem like there's like a, a lot, lot of energy down there ever since they brought that shark in. And Land Matt shark, Luke. Landshark really set the tone for this season. It's really set the tone. That's, I mean, I, th- I think I, I'm not sure if I did the crystal ball before or after, but I think I bumped. You might want to rethink that. Wins. Yeah, I, if I didn't bump up a couple wins because of Landshark, I need to go back and make some edits because. I mean, that defense is going to be terrible, so they are going to have to be throwing the ball constantly, and and they're also going to be like a just nothing to lose mentality the entire season. Absolutely, I would I would agree with that. It, the The tough thing for them is going to be if they can actually score, like get to that you know twenty four thirty point game against a team like Alabama that has an elite defense, or if they could just have a first right. half like what Mizzou did at Georgia last year, yeah. where they at least put up some points in some way to kind of keep the the numbers up throughout the whole season. But okay, JT leading the SEC in passing and in touchdown passes. I like that. I like that. Okay. Let's ask a, a different question. We're going we're gonna to go off the bull predictions. Maybe this is another bull prediction. I, I don't know. 
Who's the best overall player in the division right now? There, we got some candidates here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out these four candidates, and you can take one of these four candidates, or you it has can take to be one field. of these four. It, it, it could be one of these four candidates, or you take the field and come up with a different answer. How about that? Okay. Okay. So Damian Harris, which I would, I, I think Damian Harris, great player, but I don't think he's the best. In, I don't even know why you put him on the list. Jared Stidham. Uh, we got Devin White and Jeffrey Simmons. Would you take one of those four players as the best player in the division, or would you take the field? The field. Who's your guy? Uh, Raekwon Davis? No, no. It's not right. That was, I, that I, was I kind of a joke. Good, but I don't, I don't yeah. think he's going to be that good. Um, the best player in the West right now, I think at the end of the season. Can you go with your boy JT? I, no, because I don't think he's. I think he's got a lot of people around him. It's going to make him like even better. If we're going based off stats, then then maybe I. I think it's. I think it's. Uh, I mean, honestly, maybe any one of those receivers. AJ Brown. Yeah, he's a good. Yeah, candidate. I mean, I would take AJ Brown because he's he's a freak. Yeah, I I I probably put him. It's t- uh, yeah. I said previously that I think he's the most likely All American of any SEC player. Right. Um. I, I could get on board with that. And the way that he changes that offense, that that position group is just so loaded, though, with having DK yeah. Metcalf back there, too. Um, I mean, yeah. And, they, I mean, you have, you have the best receiver in the conference, maybe the country. You have the best, I think, the best offensive tackle in the conference, maybe the country, with Greg Little. I mean, they're going to be a really, really good offense. They won't stop anybody uh, on the run at no. all. And the other one, I would say, maybe is Montez Sweat. Yeah. Yeah, could it? Because of the attention that Jeffrey Simmons will get. Yeah, and, and Sweat coming off the edge, we saw last year, if you just decide you're not going to prioritize, you're not going to double-team for him, he can take over a game. And I think right. there are very few defensive players who can do that. Um, yeah, okay, I, I can get on board with, with the field argument for that one, considering maybe my top four weren't. weren't yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was reading it, and I was like, what is I was doing that on the fly, and then I realized, okay, he's definitely going to take Miss Greedy Williams, this. Joe Burrow's not in there. I still think he's going to have a really good September, maybe That's a whole good. full year. Wow, you are yeah. all aboard the Joe Burrow, the Joe Burrow hype train. Who's your breakout player? My breakout player, I think I just I said it earlier, it's Najee Harris. I mean, it's a guy who comes in with a lot of hype, and you know, we saw last, last year in the national championship what he could do, and he was the back for them down the stretch. Yeah. I think people kind of forget that with some of the Tua stuff. I know Alabama fans don't forget that, but nationally, that was his sort of come on to the scene moment. And I think that he's a guy who could easily be having that 1,000-yard season. Uh, if I'm not going with him, uh, maybe maybe Eris Williams. I just think that the Joe Moorhead system, um, with with the, the way that he uses his running backs, we saw with Saquon Barkley at Penn State, I think that he's going to get involved in the passing game and put up big numbers. He and Tylen Hill are going to have big-time seasons, I think, uh, in Starkville. So I guess I'm just going tailback for, for, for yeah. a breakout candidate. Who so would you go with? That's, that's perfect because I'm going to go receiver, and it's either going to be Jerry Judy from Alabama, yep. uh, it's going to be Jonathan Giles Jr. from LSU, or I really like this pick here, uh, Nate Craig Myers from Auburn. Yeah. I know they, they're pretty deep at, at receivers, so it kind of makes more sense. Like, That's kind of why I figured that uh, Jonathan Giles, the kid from Texas Tech, that's going to be at LSU now because they're not as deep at receiver. Right. And Joe Burrow's going to have to have somebody to throw to. I think that kid will be a, a household name. Yeah, And Jalen Waddell as well. Yeah, you're really high on Jalen Waddell. And I, I shouldn't have I, I shouldn't have omitted him on my top 10 freshman. I, that was I don't mistake. know what you're thinking. Another mistake. This is the Connor Mistakes episode. Uh, this this really is. Yeah, he, he could end up being the best freshman 
in, in the SEC. I don't think that would be that big right. of a surprise, given what we've been hearing out of out of camp. Uh, Remember when uh, I said that in our weekly conference call, and everyone just stood silent, and we just moved on to the next topic, and I was like, all right. I giggled a little bit. That was fun. I love a good awkward silence. Uh, let's ask two questions here to uh, to close this out before we do some some prop bet stuff uh, that we've got planned. Uh, what's Ole Miss's ceiling? We talked about it before. We think that the offense is going to put up a billion points. Yeah. But if you're in the SEC and if you can't stop the run, doesn't I mean that prevents your ceiling? Am I am I crazy to think that Ole Miss is stuck in this six to seven win mark until they can actually be? mediocre against the run is that is that too far no i mean and i think that's exactly what vegas has as as their over under is six wins um the ceiling i i think is probably no more than eight to be fair maybe nine tops but yeah they're going to be in that six or seven range and a lot of has to do with the parity of the sec west and the timing of how many new coaches are coming in at the same you know same exact time but this is their time to do it in my opinion because you lose Shea Patterson, who was an incredible quarterback his freshman year, put up ridiculous numbers. And I think he was averaging over 340 yards a game in his first five starts last year. Before, and, and also, like, what he put up his uh, – that game against Texas A&M his freshman year before going down. And you replace him with a quarterback that I think is even better, definitely more accurate. And you have three elite receivers and your best offensive lineman since uh, – what's his name with the gas mask? Too soon. Way <laughs> too soon. Sorry, Laramie. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, so the, the ceiling is, isn't is super high, but it's also, this is, we talk about like windows of time, like seize that opportunity. I think this is that time. I would agree with that. I think windows, uh, ceilings. I think this is their door time. team. <laughs> this, this might be their best time to pull off one of those big time upsets that. Well, who said that? I mean, maybe not in Alabama. Maybe not in Alabama. But maybe they, they could be one of those teams that comes in as a, a double-digit dog and is able to to beat one of these better teams that doesn't show up ready to go and yeah. gets into a shootout. I actually haven't beaten South Carolina. I don't know how big of an upset that would be. Um, no, um, I mean, I could see that. And, and you know, like, we, we talk about that defensive, uh, that, that defensive line and how bad their total defensive rush defense was last year. Ugh. I mean, they gave up 460 yards a game, and 245 of it was on the ground. But, to be fair... That was one yard less in both categories from 2016. So we're trending in the right direction. I always say that every single running back who puts up big numbers against Ole Miss should have an asterisk next to their stats because playing yeah. Ole Miss is the way that the run defense has been playing the last two years. That is not exactly more like old submissive. Up. Boom. Oh, that's good. That's good. Quick question to close this out: Arkansas or the field as the last place team in the division? That's tough. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say the field. I don't like it. So who's finishing last? A <laughs> and M or Ole Miss? Ooh, not I and A and M. I mean, they could be they could be the they could be the same, and I don't know tie maybe. Like, the, is there a way to have a three way tie for last place? Uh, no, because head to head, it's gonna determine pretty much all. That. Yeah, but at that point, no one really cares. They're just like, yeah, whatever, guys. Just True. I'll share the trophy. That's I mean. I, I think it's kind of a no-brainer that Arkansas will finish last, but they return so much talent. Um, do you well, they return a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> you let's, know what? yeah let's so back Arkansas, up. Let's I'll take Arkansas. 
I, not hating on Chad Morris, not hating on the Hogs or anything like that. I was high on them coming into last year. I thought that they could yeah. win eight games, but I am not convinced that that roster is going to be able to perform what Chad Morris wants it to do, which is play this up-tempo, fast style. And I'm not sure around have, tickle each other on the ground. I'm not sure that they have the, the personnel place. <laughs> oh, people forget that Chad Morris actually did that. We're, we're ready for football to actually start. So yeah, I can't to, wait. <laughs> look at coaches tackling, uh, tickling each other on the ground. Um, we've got some some prop bets we want to look at. We got some over under stuff to get to with the SEC West. Um, you've got some interesting stuff here, and you are super super organized, which is very yeah. impressive. Um, yeah, your uncle Chris is going to be doing a little gambling segment all fall. Love it. Not just on here. Uh, Saturday mornings before kickoffs uh, on Facebook Live. It is going to be sponsored by our good friends, mybookie.com. So as most of you know, uh, it probably doesn't go 10 minutes into each episode before I tell you something about gambling or odds or Vegas or how I may or may not have a parlay on the Little League World Series right now. That's fine. Uh, you know, here's the thing. I wouldn't say you necessarily want my advice, but there are professionals out there. Get their advice because it's not only what team you bet on this week, uh, it's also who you bet with. That's why I use mybookie.com. Make sure you go check them out. You can use the promo code SDS, and they will match your first deposit. So my favorite part about this is the prop bets, just in general. This is something we're going to talk about with the, like the season totals and the over-unders. Uh, I recently found my favorite prop bet ever on mybookie.com, and that is, did you know you could bet on whether or not Mike Gundy's Arkansas waterfall mullet will reach his shoulder pads of his suit this season. So I've got a sad development on that front. The you already placed a bet on it? The mullet is gone. I know, they're talking about if it's going to return. But if he, if he chops it off, one tends to think that, that it's, it's not coming back and that that's just a memory that we have. Oh, is that hearts. what you think, Connor? Because I'm getting pretty good odds right now, minus 160, that it is going to be back by November 11th. What a specific date, by the way. That and is, yeah. all jokes aside, if you are somebody that likes to gamble, like me, uh, now's the time to do it. Not just because we have a, a promo code with them and a, and a sponsorship with them, but because here's a fun fact for you, Connor. Do you know sportsbooks in Vegas uh, have never had a winning September? against college football spreads since 1988. Boom. How many Septembers in a row have you been telling yourself that, hoping that you're going to just hit it big? I've been laying down money on games since I was like five, just like just trying to bet pogs and, and, and stuff like that and cards. But anyway, definitely check these guys out. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code SDS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code SCS when creating your account to claim your bonus. You play, you win, you get paid, son. I like money. Yeah, me too. I had a lot of fun gambling on uh, soccer and Major League Baseball yesterday. Now you're betting on mullets. Yeah. Yeah. And I, honestly, it feels good. It feels, feels real good. Feels right. You can also bet on what uh, excuse he'll use and who he'll blame it on why he cut it. <laughs> That's a real thing. But uh, one of the things that we did want to talk about from my bookie is... The over-under season win totals is something they have going into the season. I know we've argued about a lot of this. We're going to get into it right now, and you're going to give me your predictions for all six or all seven SEC West teams. Let's do it. Okay. So, Alabama, over-under 11 wins. 
This is all regular season. Keep that in mind. Yeah, these are all regular season all games. Regular season. And this is like more my sweet spot. Not like bold predictions, but like really getting into like in-depth numbers and how they built those giant, giant hotels in Vegas. Bama's hitting the over on 11 wins. I'm going to say push. They've lost at least one regular season game, I believe, seven of the last eight years. But didn't in 2016, so... One right, of the last so two years, they did, not, they did not lose a game in the regular season. So, just, that, just okay. saying. There's that. Uh, Auburn. Yeah, you already know where I'm going. Uh, it's, it's not a roster thing. It's, it's, a, it's a schedule thing. I'm, I'm taking the under on nine, yeah. nine wins. Uh, definitely under. Yeah, I mean, if we talked about that, like the, the, his record on the road being 9-9. Nine and nine. They've only had over nine wins uh, in regular season once in the past four years. And they've been pretty, pretty dismal. Um, under Malzahn, what I what I worry about is the fact that Washington, they're they've gone from thirty to one uh, odds to win the national title to twelve to one. So that first game, I think, is going to be a bear. I'm going to say they push. Mississippi push State, here we go. You, you don't have to ask. That's why I was I was pausing because I was expecting you to just kind of skip over this, but yeah. you you already know I'm taking the over on an eight and a half over under for Mississippi State. They've done it once in the past 15 years. I'm going to go under on that. Oh, by the way, fun fact, Auburn's odds to win the national title are plus 2,000. That is the exact same preseason odds they had in 2010 with Cam Newton. People forget that. Yeah, they do. Um, LSU, 7.5. I'm going to take the over. I'm going to say they get to the 8-win mark as they've done every season in the 21st century. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you on this one. A&M, over, under 7.5. Uh, A&M fans are going to hate this, but I'll take the under. Yeah, I'm going to take the under, too. You're lower on, on them than I am. I am. You're and, definitely and I, way the, lower. The LSU thing, I'm just kind of like committed to it at this point because of Joe Burrow. But there's been several interviews uh, and articles that I've read from a couple of websites interviewing different bookmakers, and they are real low on LSU. The big thing is they need LSU to win the first game so they don't get killed in the books. Yep. But they're not very high on them. Ole Miss, over under six games. I'm going to take a push. I'm going to say they win six. I'm going to say over. Not get very favorable odds with that one though, but I still trust it. Arkansas over under six. Uh, under to say first year the Chad Morris era is not going to have a lot of fun times in SEC play. They have a very favorable non-conference schedule though, because I don't think they they don't play a Power Five team in non-conference. No, play. they have they only have three true road games, and they also get John Chavis on D. So I'm going to say push. So every team in the SEC West is getting to a bowl. You heard it here first, Chris Marlin. Yeah, pretty much. I like it. Well, except for Ole Miss. Uh, oh, no, you had... You had uh, oh, you took the... Didn't you take no, the I over? I have them over. Are, are they eligible to go to a bowl this year? That's a good point. People forget that. They're, they have that's odds. They have odds listed for them to win the SEC and national championship at oh, 80,000 to one. That's so great. I, I really hope somebody lays down 20 bucks on that. I already have. Christopher. We, we were told that we had this, this with my bookie this morning, and it took me roughly 15 minutes to put, put some bets in. That was... That was a good idea on your part. We're going to count. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, we've got, uh, as I alluded to earlier, we've got an interview with, with Dave Hooker uh, coming up. He is so, so well-versed in the Tennessee scene. Um, he broke down a ton of stuff, some, some great uh, stories from, from Phil Fulmer, and, and just kind of going back uh, the 20-year anniversary of that national championship season. It was really, really good stuff. Hope that you guys enjoy this. Uh, let, consider this a time to go check that out on SDS right now if you have not done so yet. So without further ado, here is Dave Hooker. We're excited to be joined by a very, very special guest. 
Tennessee fans know this guy well already. He is Dave Hooker. You can find him on WGOW in Chattanooga, and you can find his written content on SDS. Dave, you went above and beyond for us this week. Uh, you've done a ton of reporting to, to um, look back on this 1998 national championship season for Tennessee. It's the 20-year anniversary of that magical season. But, uh, Dave, I know that you made a ton of people feel like this was just yesterday. Uh, give us a little peel behind the onion, as we like to say. Uh, let, our, let our listeners know what this process has been like making this whole project com- come together. It, it really for the most part, I mean, nothing this big is going to be completely smooth, but for the most part, it's gone pretty smooth. And I think it's because a lot of the key participants were so willing to talk about that season. Not only did they win a title, but it was a really special group, uh, a group of guys that were incredibly close. And, you know, Al Wilson is never easy to run down. I'll go ahead and tell you that. <laughs> but uh, he fortunately uh, was kind of the last key and and speaking to him and um, you know, some of the guys we got on, uh, from David Cutcliffe to Phil Ulmer to T. Martin, uh, Randy Sanders, it was it was neat catching up with those guys and players. And I have to really thank Fred White, uh, the safety for that Tennessee team. He, he and I are friends, and he's gone above and beyond to to help me get phone numbers and get some of these guys on. So it's it's been fun. Dave, going into that nineteen ninety eight season. Obviously, you come off a 97-year uh, top 10 finish, 11-2, and two, and you lose Peyton Manning. That was a really good group. Uh, so I know there's a lot of speculation who's going to replace him and other, other players like that going 98. What player not named Peyton was the most difficult to replace going into that 97-98 to 98 season? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Thank you. I thought of that myself. Yeah, that's good. Uh, they lost... Um, Eight picks to the, in the NFL draft. Uh, three were in the first round. Peyton, the most notable. Um, I would probably, say, I would probably say uh, replacing the receiver core. They lost uh, two receivers uh, in in the draft. Um, Joey Kent went in the first round. Uh, Andrew McCullough went a little bit later. So I'd probably say those guys but you get a guy like peerless price that went on to have a fantastic nfl career so it's not like the cupboard was bare and a guy cedric wilson that played for a good amount of time in the nfl and i thought was probably a little bit underrated in college so you know they had so much coming back and i think fred watt said it best so that was back when they stockpiled uh recruits so they had guys ready to step in and uh, and take the, the previous player's place. So I, I don't think just overall talent level, the starters, I think, was the main concern. I don't feel like heading into that season, if you want to take Peyton out of it, that there was any one area that Tennessee was incredibly concerned about. Dave, we, we talk a lot in sports about these these title windows and about there, there are certain teams that when you feel like a window is closed – it's so hard for a fan base to really accept that. You had this this perfect scene-setting story that came out on Sunday where you talk about you know the blowout against Nebraska and you, you talk about kind of realizing that this was the last game of the Peyton Manning era and that this was just going to be a different time for Tennessee. You know, How did it feel like with a once-in-a-generation player like, like Peyton that Tennessee's window, at least for that brief period in time, had maybe closed? I, I think 
Peyton's influence on the program and how he helped them recruit players after he signed with, with Tennessee is what kept it open a little bit longer, at least for a couple of years. You know, the 99 team, most of the players will tell you, was better than the 98 team. Um, they had T. Martin that uh, definitely had a Fact. better feel for the offense. Um, they had an entire um, uh, defense almost back except for one guy, and that was Al Wilson. And that offseason leadership and um, what he was able to do, I think, was, was really a difference from 98 to 99. So, yeah, I'd say that window, because of Peyton and the recruits that wanted to play with him and that wanted to follow in his footsteps, I think of a, you know, Casey Clawson coming down the pipe, too, who signed with Tennessee in 2000. So they were in the SEC championship game in uh, 2001, lost that, would have played for a national title. So, yeah, I'd say Tennessee, if you want to count the Peyton years, had about a six, seven-year window. Um, they could have won another one or two, uh, but that just wasn't in the cards. And that kind of is perfect segue into my, my next question. If you, um, There were a lot of close games that year. There were, you know, I, I honestly think the 2001 team, the, the 1999 team, like you said, and maybe even like the, the 95 team or 96 team, um, Talent-wise, was better top to bottom. Um, guys like Leonard Little and and uh, Marcus Nash and or you guys had Terry Fair there. I swear he was there for like thirteen years. But uh, was this team in '98? Was this the best Fulmer team ever, or was this Fulmer's best coaching job ever? Probably the latter, um, because I agree with you. I think there are probably he he's told me he thinks there are three teams uh, that were better. So if you want to say you got most of the guys on the 98 team, on the 97 team, and Peyton, you know, on paper, right. I would say that team's better. I think the 99 team's better. I think the 2001 team's better. And you probably could go back to uh, some of those mid-90s teams, too. So he said three specifically. Those are the ones that popped into my mind. Um, but there might be, you know, three or four teams that were better. So I think Fulmer did a great job, and the way he uh, motivated these guys I thought was – uh, incredibly smart. You know, he came in and said this might be a seven or eight win football team. Uh, this is a team that just won an SEC title. So I think that lit a fire under them that was already uh, burning, and you know, I think it just caused for um, an incredible off-season uh, workout uh, program. And you know, these guys were actually holding real practices without pads and without coaches in the summer. That's just not done anymore. I mean, teams don't do that. Um, but they did, and um, I think it, it made them tough, and several of them have told me that when it got to preseason camp, and I've never heard a player say this, that preseason camp was easy, and that's when they had two days, and it was 100 degrees. Um, so that kind of took me aback, and, and they said the games were incredibly easy. They were in such – they were maybe from a body fat percentage in too good a shape. They had cramping problems. Yeah early in the season, especially at Syracuse. Now there was no AC and it's hot and muggy and all that, but still um, the, the amount of work this team put in was, was incredible in the offseason. Dave, I thought uh, one of the details that you just shared there, film, talking, hearing Philip Fulmer talk about this maybe being a 7-8 win team, his perspective then is probably so much different than it is now. And one of the cool things that you got to do, just getting to, to talk with him about this 20 years after the fact, 
How has his perspective really changed on this team compared to what it was like maybe that offseason? How does how does Fulmer look back on, on this group of guys? I think he looks back on it as a group that the leadership came together. I don't know that that was just a motivational thing when he said seven or eight wins. Um, he's kind of vague about that. He won't completely answer it. Uh, it looks awfully good now in retrospect to say, yeah, it was a motivational thing because it works. But, you know, <laughs> what if he what if he really thought that? I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I think most Tennessee fans that year, if you would have told them, hey, you're replacing Peyton and all these guys, nine or ten um, is what you're going to win, probably would have taken that to the bank in the preseason and not taken their chances. But, um, you know, I'm not sure we can say, say on a podcast, but I can tell you they were bleeping mad um, when Fulmer told them that, and it did motivate them. And, you know, Al Wilson had some pretty strong language about it. And, you know, I, I, whether it was intended to be motivation or it was just being forthright, um, it certainly uh, helped Tennessee to get to that 13 of mark. So talk about winning eight to nine games, because I, I felt that way, and I don't know if you've listened to the pod Connor always brings up the fact that uh, I grew up an Alabama fan, one of my many flaws, but I thought you guys should have lost four or five games that year. Uh, you know, even going back through the uh, the schedule, you know, this week, kind of looking back, it's surprising they were able to get through the schedule unscathed, especially with such a top-heavy September and, uh, and going in October. Out of all the close calls, Syracuse, Arkansas, Florida, um, Florida State, even late against Mississippi State, which one do you think was the most impactful uh, on the rest of the season, and which one was probably the most, the biggest relief um, and enjoyable for the team? No question, it was Arkansas, the Clint Sterner fumble. Um, that one hurts, that yeah. One that, yeah, that was the one that everybody came, the Tennessee players came away from with, with two thoughts. Um, one, Tennessee is now a team of destiny. Uh, they believe yep. <laughs> now whether or not it's true or not, they believe that. And then two, the other was they got really close to the point that they felt that losing feeling and they didn't want to feel that again. So that motivated them um, to, to close out the season. You know, Tennessee was fortunate in the middle of that year. Alabama was not anywhere close to what they are now. And they had uh, UAB, the, you know, the middle of the season, there were a lot of games right. that they won handily. And I think they, even though Arkansas was also undefeated, I don't think they took the Razorback seriously and it almost bit them. And to get that fumble and then the way they ended that game, just handing it to Travis Henry over and over and over. Um, right. And throw a single pass on about a 45-yard drop or a touchdown and milk the clock. That was uh, – Gets was, a top-10 defense too. Yeah. And, and again, and I still think the whether it was a naked bootleg that Cerner had the ability to throw or whether he was just supposed to run it that I've been told since to keep the clock moving – it was an awfully odd play call uh, by Houston Nutt. And it was the first time, no. according to Billy Ratliff, he had beaten Brandon Burlesworth, the offensive guard, who uh, would be a third-round NFL draft pick. He was All-American, unfortunately, passed away shortly after he was drafted. But, you know, they had been getting beat down. And to come back the way they did... Yeah, uh, down 21-3. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. let's face it. That, if Houston Nutt just takes a knee and punt, um, they Tennessee probably gets the ball back with about 20, 25 seconds. 
um, deep in their own territory. So they were very fortunate in, in that series, no question. They were fortunate in a lot of places. You just don't use the word luck around them. That's what that's what bothers them. But they were. Um, I'll I'll tell them that, and they know that they were fortunate in a couple of different places. That 2016 season that Tennessee had, where it just kind of felt like you know they get the hail mary against Georgia, and they're they're winning these miracle games, and people are like, is this going to happen again? I think there were certain people who might have they might have thought it was 1998 all over again, and obviously that did not prove to be the case. But you know, sort of the the the, the bigger picture thing that that has happened maybe from 1998. Do you feel like that is shaped the way that Tennessee fans think about a given season? And do you think that has kind of maybe raised the bar for this expectation that it can sort of be any year and it doesn't necessarily have to be a year in which you're starting off as a top five team or something like that? Like, has that changed the the mindset of Tennessee fans over the last 20 years? I think uh, up till about 10 years after, nine or 10 it had, that Tennessee fans believed it was just kind of a plug-and-play thing, kind of like what Alabama has going on right now because they're through the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, you know, just stick another guy in. Tennessee was recruiting at that high of a level. Tennessee's recruiting slipped a little bit, and then, um, you know, the the ball slipped as well. Those high expectations probably cost Bill Fulmer his job. I think at a lot of different places, even though I said at the time it's probably the right time to make a change, that uh, considering what he would what he had done to losing seasons, you would probably say give him a, a shot to turn it around. Go get his coordinator. The Dave Boston thing was a disaster. But to get back to your question, the last 10 years, I feel like the expectations have come way back, um, and they should because they've hired a long line of bozos to be their head coach, and we'll see what Pruitt can do. But uh, the cupboard's pretty empty now, too, compared to what it was like more than 10 years ago. So. They probably felt like that for about 10 years, but the past 10 and the slide they've had has definitely changed their outlook on the season. Last question before you go. Uh, you've been so gracious with your time, um, and I want to remind Tennessee fans, make sure you're checking out all that stuff that's on uh, SDS. Even if you're not a Tennessee fan, you should be checking it out. It's all really good stuff. Um, really good. Favorite little, favorite little that. nugget that came out um, from, from reporting on this for you was what? Um, I would have to say on a personal and emotional level, the fact that Al Wilson's son, who was diagnosed at 15 with brain cancer, is doing so well. Um, he's graduated from college. He's still playing baseball. He's got some eligibility left. He completely overcame uh, brain cancer. And, you know, I saw Al at um, some Neyland Stadium function uh, almost 10 years ago, and um, you could tell he was worried. It was one of those, you know, when people or families are dealing with cancer, you know, typically they'll come out and say, got a great prognosis, everything's going to be fine, or they'll just tell you, you know, he's battling. And usually when it's the latter, it's it's not good news. So I will say that. Um, the other thing I found the most interesting, um, I would say, is how Al kind of took control of that team the previous year in the SEC championship game. Um, you know, they weren't playing really well against Auburn. Didn't have a lot of uh, excitement going out to the second half. And Al basically took over on that moment the leadership roles from Leonard Little and Peyton Manning. And 
it really happened on that night at a very important time at halftime. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning's legacy is, I think, tarnished enough by the fact he never could beat Florida. What if he never even won a conference title? You know, that would that would definitely stick out for those that want to, you know, find faults in his career. So um, I'd say those were the, the most interesting things for sure. And the other I would say is Billy Ratliff talking about how hard it hit him um, when Burlesworth had, had passed away and he heard about it. Now he believes that Burlesworth would have been an NFL Hall of Famer. Um, so he never played an offensive lineman that good and said that um, he'd definitely be an all-pro. So those are a couple of things kind of off the field that stood out to me. Wow. That's awesome, awesome stuff, Dave. We, we really, really appreciate the time. Um, Tennessee fans, like I said, get over to SDS. Read this. Undefeated, unexpected, unforgettable. Uh, some really cool graphics to go along with this. Shout out Chris Stoney for helping us out. Tennessee Athletics helping us out big time. Um, it's it, it really is one of the coolest things that we've done at SDS in recent memory. Dave, we appreciate you coming on. Maybe we'll have you on to talk soon about a miracle start to the Jeremy Pruitt era. Nah, I don't know about that, but, <laughs> but it'll, have, it'll have nothing to do with my time constraints. Let's put it that way. I'll join you guys any time, but uh, yeah. I don't know that Will Greer at West Virginia is going to make that opening game a lot of fun for the balls. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Dave, we, we really appreciate your time, and uh, yeah, enjoy uh, the, the start of a new era in Knoxville. All right, take care, man. Appreciate Dave coming on. We know that, that that took so much reporting to be able to do. I don't know if it really comes out in the way that, that he talks, but it definitely comes out in the way that, uh, that that story all came together. The source list, unbelievable for that. Make sure you're checking out all that content on SDS. We've got Family Feud, as always, on Mondays. Our new favorite ritual every Monday to do this, where I make myself look like an idiot. What do we got this week? So we are going to do SEC West and Tennessee combined. I had a very emotional morning uh, having to talk kindly about the 1998 Tennessee football team. So they are going to be the theme along with the SEC West since that's what we covered today for Family Feud. Are you ready? we got eight questions this week. Just uh, eight. Can I, can I get to 69 points? There's no chance. Yeah. Okay. There's absolutely no chance. I love the haters. Let's go. Bring it on. Okay. Your first question, what is the best mascot in the SEC West? Uh, Mike the Tiger. No, no. That is, it's really anything but that shark. Uh, what is your favorite Vegas table game? I'm a Hold'em guy. Yeah, I'll go with Hold'em. Okay, that's actually craps. What is your favorite non-Vegas gambling city? Uh, non-Vegas gambling city. Don't say city. it. Don't say it. Let's, let's go Atlantic City, baby. Oh, gross. No, it's, it's anything but Shreveport. You know how I feel about that. That's true. What is your favorite former coach in the SEC West? This one's easy. It's Les Miles, right? No, Brett Bielema. Finish this <sighs> sentence for me. I wish I loved anything as much as Brett Bielema loves. Um, I'm going to say barbecue south of the Mason-Dixon. Grunting when he sits down. Uh, what is the best part of Tennessee? I'm a big country music guy, so Nashville's the default answer, right? That is correct. There we go. What is the worst part of Tennessee? Oh, 
Going uh, best the, parts of Nashville. The part, part where is, I came in on my moving truck and I almost died on, you know, pulling, towing my car because the the mountains and it's so steep there, and I felt like I the, was on the edge of seems life. Seems very specific, and it definitely is not the right answer. Whatever part that is is the worst. Have part. you ever seen the Family Feud answer board? How do you think that would fit on there? The answer was no. It's Nashville strip clubs is the worst part. Three foot rule. It's not okay. Uh, favorite country singer of all time. Oh, of all time. Tim McGraw. Oh, okay, that's fair. Take that. Uh, and your last question, what is your go-to karaoke song at a Nashville karaoke bar? I'm going to go with something a little bit easy. I'm a, uh, let's, let's stick with the Tim McGraw thing. Live, live like you're dying. Oh, that's good, yeah. That's a good karaoke song. It, it's got the tough notes to hit kind of at the end, but I feel like I can stay within range on that one and belt it out where I really get, you know, get a couple beers in you and you're, you're feeling good. Like that. I, I, I could definitely do that one. Mine would be Share If I Could Turn Back Time, even though it's not country, uh, or anything by Trace Atkins. Honky Town, but no, no good don't. No. Pretty much spot on there. So there you go. How many points? Uh, you had 24. 24? You had one question right. One? I got Tim McGraw three. sucks, ever since that whole Nelly incident. Whoa. You Sing. once said that you thought the Tim McGraw-Nelly collabo was the best song in the history of music. Moving on. Let us never, ever, ever forget that. I was hoping you would. We're going to close out with It Might Mean Too Much. A small little one for today, but a relevant one nonetheless. I saw this uh, sur- the swirling around on-, on Twitter. A Georgia fan modified their Volkswagen Beetle to make it look like a Georgia helmet. If you haven't seen it, uh, search It Might Mean Too Much on Twitter. You don't want to. You'll find it. it- I don't know if this is... Um, if this is legal to have a car like this, where you have the the the, the face mask on on the grill part, like how, how that all works, if that's that would be bad yeah. in an accident. I just I just hope that once that car inevitably, because all Volkswagens smell like crayons. First off, I don't know what that's about. That's a weird that's a real take. thing. It's a, it's a very real take. It's you guys just chime in. Let me know I'm right. But um, it's disappointing that one it was a uh, it was a Beetle. Kind of hard to be fierce in that. But I pray for the fact that when if they ever get into a car wreck, which I hope they don't, but if they ever do, I hope they write like on the insurance report that it was targeting. <laughs> I've got Boom. nothing else to say. We're gonna walk off on that one. Uh, yeah. We've got a we've got a couple five star reviews to get to today. Uh, we really appreciate anybody who has sent us five star reviews. Uh, if you have, if you have sent us a a one star review, a zero star review. Um, what the heck? Um, I think we're I think we're pretty cool. I think we're deserving of five star views. Yeah, you could put that up where Saban puts out players. Boom. <laughs> uh, the more of those, the better. We like them. We like them personalized too. Um, like I said, this is definitely an ego thing for us. Make us feel good. So this first one is from MTT UGA. Uh, the the subject line is all caps. This is definitely all caps. I was, was going to read this one. Yeah, actually, you know what? Why don't you read this? This is this is more suited for you anyways. I, I will say I've been moving all weekend, and this this brightened my day when I saw this. Uh, here we go. MTT, UGA, Red Meat, Explosions, Kenny Powers, SDS Podcast. Big love from UGA grad, sick bread. Love the show, guys. Keep it up. Someone give Aaron Murray a trophy for his Tim Tebow family feud answer. That guy encompassed our entire eight months of existence into... Roughly four to five sentences. It was great. Thank you so much. Epic, silky smooth entertainment. Center for your ears. 
that that was a a true five star review. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Let's let's stick on the the Georgia theme. Last one. This is from Schuler eight two. Subject line: Good job. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I look forward to each podcast every week. Go dogs. That's simple. That's five stars. Yeah. we'll take that. We like well, him probably texting and driving from that Volkswagen Beetle, so you probably didn't have a lot of time. Oh, let's not. I feel like Schuler eight two did it. Didn't do that from a, a Volkswagen Beetle. Maybe did it from a Kirby Smart press conference. Yeah. Where he, was, he or she was being yelled at. And Berated. Said, I just got to do something to distract myself. Five star guys, leave us, guys, leave us more five-star reviews. Um, or if anyone wants to come help me move, do that. We'll give you all endless amounts of free decals. The single worst things that humans do on a regular basis is move. It's yeah. not close. No, it's awful. Moving is the worst. College football is the best. College football is almost here. If you are not already, make sure you're watching all of those Facebook Lives. You've got some fun, uh, some fun gambling stuff coming up on uh, on Facebook Lives. It's gonna be. Really I got good, real giddy. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We're gonna have uh, some some fresh content on Instagram as well. You are crushing the Insta game. The help wanted ad. Yeah. Can't say enough good things about that. Made a mistake today. I I got back on that train of making fun of Central Florida. So I'm going to go back into hiding, but check us out on the Facebook Live tonight, Monday at 7 p.m. every Monday. And uh, in Connor's weekly article on Fridays, it might mean too much. Send in all your ridiculous pictures to that. Yes, we want, I need more ridiculousness for it might mean too much. If you have not yet, hashtag that, send me an email. C-O-G-A-R-A at SaturdayDownSouth.com. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at the SDS Pod at C Marler SDS and at CJ O'Gara. Really, really, really appreciate you guys tuning in. Hopefully gave you guys some good gambling information, some good Tennessee memory lane type stuff. Ooh. And the SEC East is coming up on Thursday. But until then. Remember, one more important thing. Marler, what do the people have to remember? You shake your head every time, but you have to know this I don't know, know why I panic. It might mean too much. Amen, brother. We got Woo! it right. That's a walk-off. See you guys on Thursday. <laughs>